0: Hello, I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, lifestyle, wellness, and self-development. Join me in uncovering the mysteries of beauty, anti-aging, and ultimate longevity with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the health revolution. Hi, beautiful ones. I hope you're having a wonderful week. It is a beautiful day here in California and we have an adorable little bird family in our garden. They are towhees, so they chirp all day long. I've been spending a lot of time outdoors, just observing them and taking photos. As you may know, nature is my ultimate favorite biohack. And I've just been in awe watching these two birdies be so fierce and resourceful as they take care of their little babies. We have a hawk's nest on our street as well, and then we also have outdoor cats in our neighborhood. And the babies can't fly yet, so I've spent a lot of time outdoors trying to keep the cats away from the baby birds i actually read that outdoor cats kill billions of wild animals a year so my message to you today is to please out of respect and love for nature keep your cat indoors it means that wild animals who are already on the decline in our world will have a better chance at survival all right Now, I am super excited to share this incredible interview today with Olivia of Revolve Primal Health. In this episode, Olivia and I discuss eating primally in this modern world. She tells us what a modern primal diet entails, the best foods for beautiful skin, which foods you may think are healthy but are actually very unhealthy, which commonly eaten meat you might want to rethink, and the problem with intuitive eating. This entire episode is full of incredible information, so make sure to listen all the way to the end. All right, my loves, let's go to the show. Hello, Olivia. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Happy it's Friday. Yeah. Happy Friday. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to start a little bit just talking about uh, what you do. And I first want to preface the interview by saying that today we're interviewing with you, but you also work with your mom. So you and your mom actually are the duo that is Revolve Primal Health. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you and your mom come to this place sure yeah I can tell you the whole story of
1: revolve primal health which I run alongside my mom as you said it really all started from my mom of course she ran a cafe a few years ago um probably about five years ago now so she was you know serving really great drinks with healthy fats and sourcing pastries from organic local businesses. Um, but of course, when you're running a small business like that, you're always busy. You're running on a lot of coffee, eating the leftover pastries that you don't want to waste at the end of the day. And so she felt like she was doing all that she could to source like really quality food for her cafe and also for herself. But she realized that, you know, she wasn't experiencing the best health. She wasn't feeling great. She had a lot of energy problems, feeling fatigue. Um, crashes, a lot of inflammation. And so she kind of started seeking out different diets to help with that. And she came across a keto diet or like a low carb diet. So she went into that, cut out the grains, um, went low carb, started eating more protein and fat. And she found a lot of success in that. And at that time I was in college. I, myself, I mean, my journey with health started Way back, I remember being a little girl and having the most insane stomach aches every time I ate, and it was just a huge problem. I hated breakfast because everyone's eating pancakes and bagels, and I just hated that kind of food because it made me feel horrible. And so my journey has been a very long process, and beyond kind of digestive distress, I've had problematic skin and problems like that, hormonal issues. And so I was in college, my mom was having success with this diet, so I kind of followed along. Um, At the time, I thought I was eating a super healthy diet. You know, I was eating a lot of grains, a lot of quinoa, a lot of kale salads, um, so a lot of, like, raw veggies. I did eat some meat um, at that point. You know, I've tried every diet under the sun, like vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, dairy-free, all these things that... Never really provided relief to my symptoms. And so when I started to cut out the grains and I started to implement more quality fat and protein, that's when I really saw an improvement in my gut health and my skin cleared up a lot. And so from there, it's kind of evolved. You know, after a year or so of doing that, I was able to incorporate some more quality carbs into my life, eat some more fruits and seasonal and local produce and fruits and veggies, um, starchy veggies like potatoes
0: and things like that. And so it's kind of evolved from that into where, how I'm eating now. That's amazing. I bet so many of us out there listening can relate. I can relate for one, having eaten every diet under the sun, right? Trying everything. I was a raw vegan for a really long time and we are kind of i guess trained in a way to see these certain things as healthy and these other things as not healthy and a lot of that has to do with the food industry and the where the money is right and so i think this whole journey of discovering what actually works and what's actually healthy is such a sometimes a long journey and it takes a lot of patience because often there's a lot of trial and error so with this diet you call it a primal diet. So what is a what is a primal diet? Yeah, great question. So we've kind of taken
1: on this term of modern primal mm. because I think it's really important to kind of realize that we live a lot differently than our ancestors once did. I mean, personally, I live in a 600 square foot apartment in a city. I'm working in front of my computer a lot. Most people work a desk job where they have to be inside eight or nine hours a day. Um, You know, we go to restaurants, we go to happy hour, like our lives are a lot different, but that being said, we can still incorporate a lot of these, a lot of this wisdom and practices from an ancestral diet and lifestyle. That's going to make our modern diet and lifestyle a lot better so that we can feel good, you know, live a long, healthy, enjoyable life. And so that's kind of our modern primal approach. So A modern primal diet is a lot of, you know, prioritizing the most nutrient-dense foods. So that's going to be like meat, seafood, eggs, organ meat especially, and quality dairy for some people. And at the same time, avoiding or limiting, you know, the more modern, ultra-processed, inflammatory foods like vegetable oils, refined grains, refined sugars. So that's kind
0: of the premise of what a modern primal diet looks like. Mm. Awesome. I want to dive a little bit deeper with that too. So you mentioned vegetable oils, which I talk about a lot on this podcast. Um, but I'd love to just highlight a little bit. What are vegetable oils? Cause I think most people, first of all, a lot of us eat out. So we don't even think about that, right? You think, Oh, I'm getting a steak at a restaurant or I'm getting a side of veggies at a restaurant. And often the idea that it's Cooked with vegetable oils doesn't even cross our minds, right? And most of us, I think in our our culture, our society, eat out a lot. So what vegetable oils are we um, should we watch out for? and then what are some things we can eat instead? Yeah, so, like
1: you said, they're all over the place. I mean, the vegetable oils is a term that they're marketed as because it's, you know, a little more. Sexy than saying refined seed oils, (laughs) which is what they really are. Yeah. So these are things that are, you know, very processed, usually chemically extracted. So they fall under a lot of names like canola, which is also grape seed, safflower, sunflower, corn oil, rice bran, things like that. Um, And yeah, you're going to come across them a lot in restaurants because they're a much cheaper oil or fat to use. They're a problem because. They, like I said, they're highly processed. This means they're pretty unstable fats. They can oxidize easily. So not only are the oils that you're finding in the grocery store probably rancid already, but they become more toxic as they're heated and cooked with. You know, these are the things that they use in fryers. So of course they're being heated repeatedly. So I always recommend that people try and avoid and limit this as much as possible in their diet, which means not cooking with them at home. When you go out to eat, I always ask my server or the chef if they can cook things in butter instead because even though we've been told for so long that these vegetable oils in quotations um, (laughs) are healthy or heart healthy, this is pretty outdated advice and based on inaccurate and cherry picked studies. So the better option would be to go for more um, stable animal fats So that's like beef tallow rendered from suet or chicken fat, duck fat, lard from a quality pork source, butter, ghee. You can also use coconut oil or um, avocado oil is another good option if you choose a good brand. So yeah, this this learning how to use healthy fats instead of vegetable oils is definitely going to be a very effective way to improve your health at the cellular cellular level. So that's really important. But of course, the modern primal life, you're going to go out to eat with your friends. I don't think that we should completely destroy our social lives because of seed oils. So I think that if you can, you know, really minimize them in your life, and then if you go out to eat and you ask your server that you would prefer things to be cooked in butter, you're really doing all that you can at that point for your health. And so
0: better not to stress too much. Yeah. Stress is not good and loneliness isn't good either. So balance is important. You did mention quality avocado oil. And when I share about this on my social media, or when I talk about this, a lot of people are like, what about avocado oil? And you mentioned quality avocado oil. So what would be a good way to ensure that you're getting quality avocado oil?
1: Yeah. People love avocado
0: oil. (laughs) I prefer, I prefer my animal fats. I don't know people here, but I I think part of it is just avocado oil. It's very um, it's easier to cook with like coconut oil is very thin. Avocado oil is like emollient, but I think it's also just like you said earlier, the way that it's marketed and sold, there's something about avocado. You know, people love the avocado when you tell people, you should be cooking with lard. People are like, Oh, lard, you know, versus avocado oil. So (laughs) yeah,
1: it's a deep seated fear of animal fats.
0: Yeah. So first
1: try and get over that second. Yeah. I think people like avocado oil also because it's a neutral oil. That's another reason that people use these seed oils. Um, it's because you can cook with them without imparting much flavor. So there are studies, however, that have shown that things that say they're avocado oil are cut with other types of oil. And so it's important to choose a brand, which I have heard are chosen food and Marianne's avocado oils, and then, you know, choosing ones that are in a glass bottle
0: when possible. So yeah, quality, like in most things is key. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's really good. And it just, you know, brings kind of that notion of processed foods and that's something we, face in our modern lives where we really do have to trust the brand that you're working with, because there is not a level of regulation or accountability uh, that, that you'd like to think there is. I think you're right. Like, it's just good to choose brands that you trust and also kind of do the research around it. And the glass bottle thing I think is important too.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, all these large companies, your health is not their top priority as much as they want you to think that with their greenwashing tactics, but you're really the one who's the advocate for your own health. So Mm. this information is quite empowering in that sense.
0: Yeah. I think that's amazing. And just taking that responsibility, it, it can be really daunting in the beginning because especially when you're first finding out that like, oh my gosh, from water to food to the things you have in your home to the things you're putting on it on your body, like it can be really overwhelming in the beginning. But that's why there's people out there, like yourself and your mom, who make it easier and who are supporting in that because it can be a really transformative experience. But it can also be quite uh, challenging, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I always like to say that, you know, sharing this information is not meant to scare people, which is, You know, it can be very scaring, as you said, all these things that you've eaten your whole life, maybe aren't the best for you, but it's good to know that you've, you know, you've been working with what you know so far, so you can always know more and you can always do better. So it's not meant to scare people, but I think, you know, having this information is empowering, like I said, and really
0: can be transformative in your health. Yes. And you mentioned meat. And when people think of healthy meat, often they think of chicken, lean meat. So what is healthy meat and what is a good balance of meats in a primal diet? Yeah, people always ask me what I
1: have against chicken. I'm never posting pictures of chicken and they're like, why Why does nobody eat chicken? I think, yeah, like you said, always people have this fear of fat. And so they've gone towards chicken breast, lean meat like that. And I don't think there's anything, I mean, once again, sourcing quality is key. Chickens aren't ruminant animals like beef or lamb. So they have to eat supplemental feed. And so that's another question that you have to have is what is this chicken eating? Um, People often say, you're not what you eat. You're what you eat eats. And so that's one thing to look out for in meat is, you know, is it grass fed? Is it eating corn and soy or even vegetable oils? A lot of chickens and um, pork is fed vegetable oils. And so that's going to throw off the fatty acid profile and could be harmful because while we do need omega-6 and omega-3 in our modern diet, we have a lot this balance has been thrown off quite a bit. So, you know, the more vegetable oils that we eat, it's going to be a problem. So I don't recommend, you know, avoiding chicken at all costs. I don't personally eat a lot of chicken because I think it doesn't taste as good as beef personally, but I think having a variety of meats is important. You know, you should eat what you like. Um, Variety and taste is important. I like to eat. I've always liked to eat. It's something that is important to me. So I'm always gonna wanna enjoy what I'm eating. So yeah, I think we shouldn't think that chicken is a cleaner or better meat necessarily. Nutritionally, things like beef and ruminant animals like that are gonna have more nutrients. But at the end of the day, a piece of chicken is gonna be more valuable to you than a slice of pizza. So
0: Mm. it's all in context. Yes. And then you mentioned organ meats. How should we eat organ meats and what kind of organs are we talking about? Yes. So eating this concept of nose to tail.
1: So eating the whole animal rather than just the muscle meat is really important in this primal diet and lifestyle. So that is everything from eating organs, like you said, to like liver, um, kidney, pancreas, stomach, just tripe, all of those kinds of things to eating things that aren't muscle meat, like the tongue and the fat, the skin using the whole animal really. And so there are a lot of ways that you can do this. You know, people, this is a very, people have been doing this for so long in all types of cultures, but a lot of people these days aren't used to it. I didn't grow up eating organ meat. Um, a lot of people aren't, so it's pretty scary thing for people. And so I find a lot of people like to kind of incorporate it into other dishes, whether that's, you know, chopping up liver and putting it in meatballs so you don't really taste it. If you can't even go that far, you can even buy, you know, desiccated liver supplements and add it to your diet that way. But yeah, I think just experimenting, having fun and like trying new things is really important. Grilling some beef heart is a great way to start because it's pretty mild in flavor and has a similar texture to muscle meat. And then it's going to have all those great nutrients that are good for your heart. Mm. So, yeah, I think playing around. Also, if you go out to restaurants, there are certain cuisines that have organ meat on the menu sometimes. So that's always fun to experiment with.
0: I love it. That's good. And then about sourcing those meats, because if you go to the butcher, they're not often going to have organs because they don't sell and then they go bad, which is what I've heard a lot of the time. (laughs) So where do you source a beef heart or a, a beef brain or whatever you want to get to try? I think a great place to start is talking to a butcher. If
1: you have a local butcher going to the farmer's market and talking to a local farmer there who sells meat, I mean, these are going to be your best resources in finding quality organ meat. I think it's becoming a little more popular, maybe. So hopefully, people are you know coming around to it, and demand will increase the supply. If you don't have you know a good source of meat near you, there are places online that will ship. Of course, that kind of convenience comes at a premium, but yeah, I mean, using resources online to find good quality regenerative farms that ship
0: to you. Mm -hmm. It's a good, yeah, it's a good way to do it. Awesome. And then where do cheese and dairy come in? You said like quality dairy for some people. So where do those come in?
1: I, yeah, I lived a lot of my life and I know a lot of people like this who, you know, thought that they were intolerant to dairy. They avoided it, maybe replaced it with, you know, fake milk and fake cheese. But I have found that with all the as all these other things, quality is key. And so I, after healing my gut and healing all of these digestive problems, have been able to incorporate quality raw dairy that I buy locally. And so I don't think that there's this idea that dairy is inherently bad and that everyone should avoid it, that it's inflammatory, you know, it's going to give you acne, all these things. But I think that that's not the case. It's if you can source quality dairy and if you can kind of heal your gut to a point where you can digest things well. I don't think that dairy is you know, necessary for a nutrient-dense diet per se, but I think a lot of people find health benefits to it, especially if it's a quality source that's grass-fed and raw and has
0: all of those nutrients that
1: we're looking for in dairy.
0: And is the raw piece important? Because if you go to the grocery store, you're getting pasteurized dairy. So raw milk is unpasteurized. And like you said, it's going to be different from
1: the pasteurized milk that you find in the grocery store because it's not heated. And that means that it retains all of the valuable nutrients, enzymes that help us digest and, you know, beneficial bacteria. And that's all going to be killed off in pasteurized milk, which is heated up. Mm -hmm. So, that is an important aspect. And I always think, you know, raw is the best you can find, but access is a huge problem. And I don't want to tell people, you know, you can't eat dairy if it's not raw. If you can tolerate dairy, I think dairy in and of itself is still a pretty nutritious food. It has a lot of good nutrients, fat soluble vitamins. And so, I think that if you can tolerate dairy, and then especially some people can't tolerate milk, but if you're going for like a harder aged cheese, a yogurt, you know, these fermented dairies are easier to digest. So I think, you know, there's a spectrum of best to worst, you know, raw is going to be the most ideal option. But if you can find something that's low temp pasteurized or VAT pasteurized, that's a better option. Um, Of course, if you can find something that's local, grass fed, that's great. And then yeah, on the worst end of the spectrum is going to be the higher temp homogenized
0: dairy. Mm -hmm. So I want to shift to fitness because movement is something our ancestors did a lot of in various ways. So how does fitness factor into a modern primal lifestyle?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think being active and moving is pretty critical to this lifestyle. I think before I ventured into this way of eating and living, I over-exercised quite a bit. And I think a lot of people do, and I exercise definitely in the wrong way. And so I would definitely caution people towards that, especially if they're in like the phase of their healing, especially for women or hormonal imbalances, like, you know, decreasing stress on your body is really important. And that's really what exercise is. It's a form of stress, which can be beneficial to the body, of course. So I think when you're healing, you know, focusing on nourishing yourself with really quality nutrient dense food is a great place to be and doing like still being active and moving, but not too hardcore, but once you're kind of in a place, you can incorporate movement and you really should every day be active. But I used to be the kind of person who was like, why do people go on walks? That seems like such a waste of time.
0: (laughs) Well, you can run on a treadmill at seven miles per hour. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yeah. I would go to the gym and hop on the treadmill or the elliptical for the whole time until I was dripping sweat and dead. And, you know, maybe I would hop off and do some abs and stretching and then I would leave. Mm -hmm. But now, if I knew that I had to go to the gym and got on the treadmill, I would not go. Yeah. <laughs> so I think finding movement that you enjoy is really important. These days like walking, being outside is really important to me, doing a few days of heavier lifting in the gym. Um because I think lifting heavy things is really important, especially for longevity and everything. And then Cardio, of course, is still important, not as important as I once thought it was. But I like to do that in ways that I enjoy, like I'll play tennis or I play on a soccer team, Um, do some sprints every once in a while, maybe once a week, I think is a really, you know, best bang for your buck. You can be out there for 10 minutes and do a few really hard sprints. So, yeah, I think, of course, being active and moving is really important in this lifestyle, but finding a way that you enjoy is really important and you know less cardio i think most <laughs> people can be doing
0: yeah i i've heard that a lot lately that people especially women tend to overexercise especially the cardio aspect where you're really pushing your body past something that's really good for it and then undereating so overexercising and undereating so many women are undereating so yeah. that combination can be really detrimental to the hormones
1: yeah i think before i was eating in this kind of nutrient dense style and i thought i was being very health, healthy by eating you know whole grains and kale and tofu and all that and i was exercising so much and i wasn't seeing any progress if anything i feel like i was you know holding on to some weight if i wanted to get rid of it or but once i started eating more and kind of moving or exercising less, that's when I really see results, which kind of blows people's minds, but it makes sense in the physiological way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you did mention outside, being outside. Oh, sorry. Ancestors were outside a lot. So is there anything you want to share about being outside and how that impacts our body and our health? Yeah. I mean, I think
1: most people could be outside more, but it's not, it's, you know, it's easier said than done, but I think something that people can focus on a lot is, you know, maybe having the first thing you do go outside, be in the sun, expose yourself. Like you don't need to put on sunglasses, expose yourself to the sunlight. And that's really going to help with your circadian rhythm, you know, your sleep cycle, your sleep hygiene, Starts in the morning when you wake up. So, you know, instead of waking up and scrolling on our phone, getting outside, being in the sun is really important. Um, And yeah, I think I noticed this recently that, you know, since I live in a city, I'm never, I realized that my feet never touch the ground. Like I'm either in my home or I'm wearing sneakers. So that was kind of like mind blowing to me. So I really made an effort to like go to the park get my feet on the ground. Um, so yeah, I think of course people love being outside. I think, you know, the sun is a really powerful biohack you could say. Um,
0: yeah. Awesome. So what are some indicators that it's time to potentially change the way that we are eating and shift to a primal or a modern primal diet?
1: Unfortunately, I think a majority of people probably need to make a change just because of, you know, the food that we have access to and the standard American diet that goes well beyond North America at this point, which is, you know, heavy and refined grains and refined sugars. So I think a lot of people could make a change. Of course, there are, you know, tests and biomarkers that you could look at that would signify that you need to make a change, especially ones that relate to blood sugar, like your A1C or your fasting glucose. But I think the most powerful thing is to be in tune with your body and to really kind of notice any signs that you're not feeling well. I mean, you should be feeling great every morning and wake up and have energy and have excitement for the day. And I think, you know, this is a very common saying that things are Common, but not normal. So, you know, all of these symptoms that people experience like fatigue, um, energy crashes, hormonal problems, skin problems, all of those things are so common that we just, you know, we're like, oh, that's just my life have to live with it. But just because something is common does not mean it's normal. And so, you know, being in touch with your body and really being able to read those signs that maybe a little switch could do the trick. And that's the great thing is we have such a powerful tool right at our fingertips. You know, you have to eat, you have to feed yourself. So if you can learn to, you know, source the right food, prioritize the right food, and then prepare it in a way to really make those nutrients as available to you as possible, that is like really transformative. You can see results very quickly, you know, within weeks of changing your diet. So, yeah, I think being in touch with your body and really listening to these
0: signals that you're not feeling great, then you could feel better. Mm. This is so great because this kind of segues into my next question, because this notion of knowing your body and being in tune with your body, and there is kind of a movement right now to teach people to eat intuitively. And you've mentioned this on your, on your page, uh, on your Instagram, a lot about intuitive eating. So what is your take on intuitive eating and why might it not be as easy as we think it is?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question and a great topic. And of course I'm all for intuitive eating. Like I think that's what everyone strives for, right. Is to be able to eat what they want, what their body's craving, what their body's telling them when they want it, and to feel great doing that. Unfortunately, with the standard American diet and this, you know, ultra processed foods that are really engineered to make us want more and buy more is really making this practice nearly impossible. And so it frustrates me when people say, oh, you just need to eat intuitively and listen to your body. When If you've been raised on this way of eating, your whole like physiological system that is built to tell you when you're hungry, tell you what you want, has just been completely taken over by these processed foods. And so I, before eating this way, I could never think of myself as being like at a party in front of a bunch of snacks and just kind of going about my day. Like I would be at the snack table eating all the snacks. And then I would feel horrible after because it just wasn't food that was nourishing me. But then, you know, once you start to really nourish yourself with real food, you can, you know, support those hormones that are meant to like your hunger hormone, that's meant to tell you when you're hungry and when you should seek out food. And you're kind of like healing all of these processes that can help you actually eat intuitively. So what people think is a willpower problem could really just be a problem that is caused by this modern diet that we're eating. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there is a way to eat intuitively, but it's pretty impossible if you're not going to move beyond a standard American diet and, you know, nourish yourself with real food. And I also think that eating this way can really, like, change your palate. I know it sounds kind of crazy. When I was a kid, like, I loved Nutella so much. I would eat it out of the spoon (laughs) and I tried it recently. And I was like, this just doesn't taste even that good. Like, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. So, you know, while I probably wouldn't eat a bag of Doritos because I know it's not going to make me feel good, has some maybe ingredients that I don't love. But beyond that, like, I just don't even want to eat that, you know, like once you're eating the best foods, like a good steak or quality slow cooked meat and, healthy fat, you're really going to be like satisfied. And you know, these cravings, it is possible to kind of mitigate cravings, which I always struggled with as well. Like I was hungry all the time. I would eat breakfast a few hours later, I would be starving and like need to pack snacks everywhere I go. But once you're really nourishing your body, you can kind of feel satiated with these quality proteins and fats. That's going to Make this idea of intuitive eating a lot easier.
0: Oh my gosh, so good. And I think a lot of people, myself included, have had histories of disordered eating. And I myself struggled a lot with binge eating. And my solution was actually like the opposite. So when I was in college, I was a raw vegan, like I mentioned for a long time. And that was kind of like, oh, well, as long as I'm a raw vegan, I can just eat as much as I want. I'll never gain weight and I can just eat and eat. And because it is such a different diet, right? It's not really satiating in a lot of ways. You are constantly eating, constantly eating, and you're constantly thinking about food. And from personal experience, since beginning to eat this way, because this is how I eat as well, it's so, different, the way your body feels, the way your brain feels, the way your moods are, because you're not constantly thinking about food. Like it's not this constant thing of what am I going to eat next? What am I going to, what, where do I get the next meal? Because your body is like content. It's, it's, there's a nice level of energy where you're not in your head, like you're in your body, you're grounded. So I, I think there's something really to that where if you are struggling with constant cravings and disordered eating, really looking at this way of eating and, and realizing that it's something deeper than just choosing food. It's kind of eating the food that nourishes your body so much that you don't have to do all this work to try to get more.
1: Yeah. I totally agree and of course, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm speaking on these <laughs> yeah, disordered eating by yeah. own experience, but I think yeah, that's so true and it's something that people really don't talk about a lot. I mean, when you're talking about your diet and nutrition, you're maybe looking at, you know, the way your body is physically changing. And you're like, "Oh, I lost some weight or I gained some weight if you needed to gain weight." But they don't talk about the mental kind of health side of things, which I don't think I even realized that I had a kind of disordered relationship with food until I ate this way. And I felt such freedom because like you, I was thinking all the time. I used to scroll Yelp for fun looking at restaurants. Oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> like
1: that was a pastime of mine. So, yeah. and it's because of all of these restrictive diets that I had done in the past, like, you know, cutting out all meat and all dairy being vegan because that was what I was told was healthy for me and the environment. And so, yeah, this relationship with food of just constantly thinking about it and constantly having to, you know, plan out my next meal has completely changed. And it's such like, it's very taxing to be, you know, thinking about food all the time. So once you can really, you know, like dial in this nutrient dense way of eating and really, giving your body what it needs. It's really a really important benefit to this way of eating, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love it. It's super empowering. It allows you to direct your energy into so many other things that are important in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think a lot of people really do think vegan is the healthy way to go. And also the best thing for the environment do you want to share anything about why that might not be true?
1: Sure. Yeah. Of course, I think everyone has, you know, the freedom to choose their diet, but what really troubles me is this kind of push for people to cut out meat and dairy because one there's really no scientific evidence that it's beneficial from a health perspective. I mean, there's a lot of epidemiological studies that may make some connections and some associations, but it's important to kind of recognize that there's not been a multi-generational like society of veganism. Meanwhile, this is a way people have been eating for millions of years, eating meat and animal source food. So I think the health part of it is really problematic. You know, there's a lot of risk of nutritional deficiencies that people see on a vegan diet, not to mention that It is possible to have, you know, like a nutritionally complete vegan diet, but it's very challenging, especially for people who don't have, you know, very specific education and access to supplements. So I think that's a huge problem to tell people to cut out some of the most nutrient dense foods when they could be vulnerable to a lot of health issues. So that on the health side of things. And then when it comes to the environment, I think that there is a way to eat animal foods that not only isn't bad for the planet, but can really serve benefits to the land. I mean, ruminant animals have a lot of benefits to soil health, biodiversity of soil matter, um, improving, you know, the water system, things like that. So it's important to recognize, you know, how the how the food is produced. Um, I'm definitely a proponent of regenerative agriculture because you know that's a very good way to make healthy food and also support the planet, which of course I believe is should be top of mind because if we're looking for longevity and health, we really can't do that without keeping the environment in mind because we need our natural environment to be healthy and thriving. That being said, I don't tell people that they can only eat regenerative meat. I think that people should eat the food that they have access to and the food that they can choose. If they're choosing between a box of cereal and a pound of ground beef, then I think that they should choose the beef. But I think that everyone should shoot to choose, you know, the food that is produced in the most sustainable um, and regenerative fashion. So I think that there's a lot of tools and tips that you can kind of pick up to make food more accessible this is super important to me that I've made like I'm developing a whole course on how people can source food in their budget because I think you know everyone deserves access to nutrient dense food. I'm definitely privileged to live in a place where I have access to these foods and I have the resources to spend on that. Um, so I'm really trying to develop some ways that people can you know find places near them, connect with farmers because I think these connections between you know people and farmers and the people who produce their food is really the only way that we're gonna really heal
0: humans and the planet. Mm, Amen. Absolutely. I think that's so powerful and so important to highlight is that our farmers, they are what keeps us eating. And so I think strengthening those bonds and connections is amazing. So I'm excited for your course. That's awesome. You'll have to let us know when it's out. Uh, And then what are some of your favorite foods for beautiful skin? Great question. Well,
1: I think that, you know, finding beautiful radiant skin definitely lies in finding the root cause of your issue. Um, That is something that I've struggled with for many years. So if you're out there struggling with that, you're not alone. So I think that that's great. And, you know, eating in this way that's nutrient dense and like giving you all of the protein and fat and micronutrients that you need is a great way to start. So I think in general, you know, incorporating this nutrient dense way of eating is important for healthy skin. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, this is a question that I get a lot. People really want like a quick fix. So it might be different for different people, depending on what the source of the problem is. But I think that incorporating healthy fats is really important. Um, so like I said, avoiding these refined seed oils like canola oil and the things that you find in a lot of processed foods and you know, prioritizing animal fats like tallow, butter, ghee, all the things that we've been told to be afraid of. Every cell in your body needs fat. So you really need to be incorporating these healthy fats. And that's something that I've personally found to make a huge difference In skin health, um, some other things are probiotic-rich foods, because gut health is really important for skin. So whether that's making your own sauerkraut or fermented veggies, um, cultured dairy, things like that can be really beneficial to gut health, which can thus improve your skin. Um, Protein, of course, I mean, skin health is really connected to balanced blood sugar. So ensuring that we have balanced meals that have enough protein and fat and along with carbs that we eat, if we're having a snack, instead of having just carbs, you know, pairing that with protein and fat is really important. Um, So that's pretty critical to skin health. This is a question I get a lot. So I have a free guide on like five.
0: (laughs) Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah. So people should download that if they're looking for some quick nutrition tips for skin health.
0: Very cool. Awesome. And that link will be in the show notes. So grab your free skin care guide for, um, yeah, what you're eating. Cause it's all about diet. I think that's something people don't realize we have so much, um, information about what to put on your skin and the idea that what you eat changes your skin is I think still very revolutionary for a lot of people. So
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been struggling with this for a long time and going to so many doctors Mm. and trying so many things and they really just want to like, I mean, it's nice. They want to help you right away. They want to make it quick and easy. (laughs) Here's a pill, but yeah, here's (laughs) something to mask your symptoms. But I think, yeah, finding the root cause is definitely the goal as hard and long as that might take. Like that's really your only way to long-term success and true success.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I personally took Accutane when I was in high school and the side effects from that were so horrible and long lasting for me that I highly recommend exploring all your options before taking any skincare medication.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's like I said, it's easier said than done. I mean, I had the same thing. I took Accutane and I think if you had told me at the time, like, don't do this, you're going to regret it. I would have been like, no, I need to do this. (laughs) Like it's really taxing on people to, especially when you're in high school and college and all that, like you want something to work now, but I have big regret. And I just wish that I knew what I know now, which is first of all, like the way that you look is definitely great. Like, but it's not the most interesting or most important thing about you. And then you know, all of these quick fixes are not really going to provide long-term success and they could have really detrimental impacts. So Mm, I wish I knew that back then.
0: Me too, girl. (laughs) (laughs) But at least the information is out there now and you're sharing it and we're sharing it here. And I think that's awesome. And I hope that this reaches the people who are ready, ready for it. Mm, Yeah. Uh, So what are some foods that people tend to think are healthy that are actually unhealthy? Oh, wow. The list is long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Really all it takes, I think, is going into the grocery store and browsing, especially the middle aisles. And you'll find a lot of things that they want you to think are healthy, which probably aren't that healthy. But some of the top things that I harp on a lot on my Instagram. Um, first of all, seed oils, of course, which we've talked a lot about about how we're made to think that they're healthier, even the bottles will say, "Heart healthy. Yeah, um, so I think you know navigating labels is something that's really important, and something that I'm hitting a lot on the course is like helping people read ingredient lists, get to know that labels can be really misleading. So you have to always turn around something that you're buying and read through the whole list. And even myself who like lives and breathes and all this stuff, like I will go to the store and turn around every single thing just to make sure. Mm -hmm. So beyond seed oils, another thing that I think people think are like the greatest thing alive are fake milks. Oh yeah. Fake dairy in general. So my problem with this is not only are they, you know, processed foods that can contain seed oils, And other additives and chemical additives, but they lack in all of the nutrition that we're really looking for in milk. So that's pretty much a lose lose, in my opinion. Um, And
0: you're talking about, sorry, oat milk. Uh, What other milks? Like when you say fake milk, what do you mean?
1: Yeah. So oat milk, nut milks, of course, there are better options, like in all cases, ones that just use, you know, organic nuts or seeds and then water. Um, but these are things that you really have to look out for on the ingredient list. Personally, I opt for dairy because I have access to raw dairy. And if you can tolerate dairy, I think it's a better option because it's a real food and it has nutrients. I mean, almond milk is really just like water that's cloudy. Um, (laughs) and, but you know, there are better options if you can make it at home or find one with just two or three ingredients. I like a coconut milk. Um, I think that that's a good dairy-free alternative. Mm. Um, yeah. What else? I think things like trail mix and power bars and things like that can often be really confusing for people because they think that's a good snack. A lot of them have good packaging or, you know, it looks like they have fewer ingredients, but these are You know, if not only do they have a lot of harmful ingredients that can impact your gut health, but they're going to be, you know, pretty high in carbs and sugar often. So if you're just eating that as a snack, it's not a great snack because it's just going to make you more hungry. Um, Like we talked about with this physiological response to carbs and your blood sugar and all of that. So that's something that I would look out for like granola a lot of the time has seed oils. I mean, anything really in a package, you should turn around and look in the ingredients. And yeah, I think learning,
0: learning how to read ingredient lists and packaging is really important. It's kind of fascinating. Like as you're talking, I'm just thinking how can, it's so interesting to think that we have this notion right now that being not eating primarily or eating meat and fresh foods is that's the thing that's bad for the environment. When you think of like all the things you just mentioned, they're all packaged in plastic and they all like these nut milks, like almond farming is so detrimental to the environment. It kills, I think 50 million bees a year or something crazy. And all of these things are in plastic, packaged in plastic. Like that is not good for the environment. That is really, really bad for the environment. So I think it's just really critically thinking about not only what is not necessarily healthy for us, but what is also how it affects the planet, I think, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people have to rely
0: on the grocery store,
1: which is a bummer. Like I try and avoid the grocery store as much as possible because it's just a bunch of junk a lot of the time. And you, I think I always say this, but you have to be like a very trained detective to leave the grocery store without (laughs) something bad yeah but yeah I think as much as you can to like connect with local farms and go to farmers markets and kind of sourcing from people who are growing food near you and growing food in a great way that's really where you're going to see the most benefit to your health and the planet so that's something that I'm really trying to help people with on Instagram and in the course is trying to help them learn how to source the best food in their budget. Because, I mean, if you look at a plant-based burger and a pound of ground beef, like you can buy regeneratively raised amazing ground beef. The cows are happy eating their natural diet for cheaper than you can get a Beyond Burger that's you know made in a factory with questionable ingredients. So it's really all about doing your own research and not just trusting that because something says vegan, it's healthy.
0: Mm, yes. Beautifully said. And I like they mentioned farmer's markets because I think they're so underrated. <laughs> we don't even think about that often when we're thinking of sourcing food. And I think so many of us have farmer's markets, even in cities. So that's a really good option as well. So there are three questions we ask all of our guests on this podcast on the biohack your beauty podcast. And the first one is what is your definition of beauty?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I think it's definitely changed in the recent years. Um, You know, I used to think it was all about being skinny and clear skin and all that. I think that this is going to sound cheesy, but like being confident and being happy in your body and like being willing to do everything you can to live in a way that you're healthy and that you can have healthy relationships and, you know, enjoy yourself. So yeah, spending time on yourself and spending time on cooking and movement and all that stuff to make it so that you can really be comfortable in your body and confident and happy and whatever way that looks to you, like everyone's different. So I think that that's beautiful.
0: I love it. What is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for our listeners? I'm going to say nose to tail eating, Mm.
1: eat your bone broth, eat your liver, eat your heart, eat all that good stuff. Yeah. And
0: where can people find you?
1: So we're on Instagram at revolve primal health. I post a lot of like educational information on ingredients and navigating the grocery store and also recipes. That's a lot of what we do is like creating recipes that are super easy, super delicious and really nourishing that you like, that your family likes, that your toddlers like, all that good stuff, and making like organ meat accessible. And then we have a website revolveprimalhealth.com. And then our course is launching in late August. So we're going to teach all about sourcing the best quality food in your budget, like I talked a lot about, and then how to prepare that food in a way that makes the nutrients most available. So traditional methods like fermenting, soaking, sprouting, how to balance meals, how to balance meals for metabolic health and hormone health. It's really the guide that I would have wanted at the beginning of my journey, but for cooks who haven't spent a day in the kitchen, or if you're a good cook, but you just want to learn how to make bone broth and make pate and eat more liver. So yeah, that's going to be a big, exciting thing for us, but yeah, Instagram and our
0: website. Sounds amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was awesome. I feel like we all learned so much.
1: Yeah, it was super fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. If this episode resonated with you, please give this podcast a positive review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps us spread the word about biohacking and the power of holistic health. I also wanna share that I still have one spot open in my one-on-one coaching program. It's a three-month program where I support you in reaching your body goals, where we work together on physical and emotional healing and really hone in on creating lifelong lifestyle changes that are in alignment with what you desire for your body, your health, and your future. You can click the link in the show notes to book a free call with me and there you will find my other links as well. Connect with me on Instagram at Dora DoraVandekamp. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week.